You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. If you would um, just take a moment to pray with me. Lord, you are here. And Lord, you have a word for this people today. And I want to ask God that you send your Holy Spirit in to bring a fresh wind um, through this place, Lord. You are the God of wind and the God of fire, the God of power. And I pray that you would um, breathe on your word, Holy Spirit, and bring it to life for us today. God, we desperately need all of our lives to be renewed in our hunger for your beauty, for the beauty of your Son. So Lord, I pray that this afternoon that you would give me the words, that you would anoint my lips to speak only what you have given me to speak, and that you would anoint the hearts of my listeners to receive everything that you have for them, gracious Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as um, Nduka said, my name is Cameron. I'll give you a, a little more of a snippet of autobiography. So I've been in Orlando for seven years. I moved here from Wisconsin where I went to seminary and I'm an, an Anglican priest by trade. So I look a little bit different on Sunday mornings at my church, not that much different. But um, I have a wife, Hannah, of 13 years and three children. Lydia is seven. Benjamin, we call him Benji. He's five and he's a Lego expert. And I have a one-year-old named Asa, who is King Asa. And um, we planted Adoration Church about 14, 15 months ago. And uh, some of you have uh, met Nick Audis, who has led music worship for you. And he is helping me plant the church and is a brother in the Lord. And so I love the connection there. Um, I met your pastor. I want to tell you for a minute a little story about why I met your pastor. The reason I met your pastor is because of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain. I was ministering um, in, a, in an established church that it was a, a very old church, and I mean the building, the facilities, the church had been around for many, many years, over 150 years. And I had been there for about four years, uh, two years I had, was an assistant, and then I was hired on as what we call the rector, which is just our way of saying lead pastor. And I had just had a second baby, life was crazy, I had gone from being the assistant who all I did was preached every other Sunday and had a meeting here or there, to being the boss, essentially, with all this responsibility, and was of course tasked with like, kind of coming up with a new vision for this church that was mostly elderly folks and, and kind of wanting to grow, of course, and connect to families and all these things, and I thought, in my spiritual pride, I'm, I'm a good teacher, and I know the Bible really well, and I know theology because I've been to seminary, and so I'm going to just disciple people and teach classes and preach the Word, and we're going to grow, and it's going to be great, and it's going to, you know, my personality is going to connect with young people, and they're going to start coming, and everything's going to be glorious. And thank God for the grace of our Father in heaven who will look down on us in our spiritual pride and say, I need to do something about this. And over the course of two years of being the lead pastor, I realized uh, that um, things were not panning out as I had hoped they did. And there was a number of things that the Lord was dealing with in my personal life to get my attention to awaken real spiritual hunger in me for the power of God. 
I had Bible training, as I said. I had a few years of experience under my belt. I cared about the people that I was shepherding and pastored them faithfully. But one thing that my ministry was missing that the Lord showed me was His power. And the way that the Lord um, began to work in my life was to deepen spiritual hunger in me by ripping layers away out of my life of things that hindered that hunger. How many do you know that um, if I asked you, you know, do you believe that, that God wants you to love him, to obey him, to do missions for him, to share your faith with others, to show up at church on Sunday? None of you would say, no, I don't, I don't agree with that, right? You would all agree with that. But what if I said to you today that, that the Lord actually wants you to hunger in a zealous and passionate way for him, continuously? Do we have, um, do we have the slides up? Is, this, is the slide with Psalm 27 on it? I, I want to, before I dig into the meat of, of my text, I want us to, if you can read that, it's a little bit small, but I want us to just read this together um, in a moment because this is a psalm of spiritual hunger, much like Psalm 84 that we heard from earlier, but this is a psalm of spiritual hunger. But what happened, let me go back to my story before we read this together, is that I just started getting desperate. I said, Lord, I'm not seeing fruit in my ministry. When I read the New Testament, when I read the book of Acts, I look at my ministry and it looks nothing like that. I don't see miracles. I don't see people coming to faith. I don't see people getting uh, healed and set free from demonic power. Why is that? And so I kind of started to do a deep dive into reading and exploring and reading through the book of Acts over and over and studying it and looking at, the Lord began to show me other ministries and books and things that he brought into my life to say, there actually is more. There is more. And I want to talk to you today about the more. And so for me, what I did was I began to give, I began to let the Lord take things from me, things that were idols, attitudes, bad habits, pride, and I began to give them to the Lord, and I began to press into the prayer closet. I put my little Anglican prayer book on the shelf, and I just opened the Bible and began to talk to Jesus. I started a practice of fasting, and I said, Lord, I'm hungry. I need you to touch me. I want to be used by you. I want to have a fruitful ministry, and I want to see the power that I read about in Scripture. I want to see it on display. I don't want it to be a theory for me anymore. I don't want it to be a theology for me anymore. I want it to be a lifestyle. And I began to hunger for the Lord and to, to kind of try to close a long story off and make it short. I asked these two Pentecostal women who, are, who I was close to in my congregation if they would come and pray for me. And they came and prayed for me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, I believe every believer has the Holy Spirit. Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, he has, he has given you his spirit. He's put the seal on you. But I want to tell you that while you already have everything in Christ, you can have more of the spirit. You can have more hunger for God. And I want to talk to you about that hunger. And after I was touched dramatically by the Lord in what you might call a personal Pentecostal experience, I became an Anglicostal. And so, um, so I'm all about people uh, interacting with me in the sermon, and I love hallelujahs and amens and yeah, come on. And if it's bad, you can boo too. That's fine as well. But I'm all about making noise. And as Jill was saying, hey, you know, we could move around a little bit if we want to. That's biblical. And so, so please, please be noisy with me because I'm noisy. But I, wanna, I want us to read this together and be reminded of what it means to hunger for the Lord. David was a man who hungered for the Lord. But let's read this together. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Amen. I'm going to go back at the end of my sermon to talk about when I met your pastor because I feel like the Lord has given me a word of encouragement for you all about that. But now, how many of you watched fireworks last, uh, when was it, last Monday? How many of you watched fireworks? Only two of you? Three of you? Okay, now, here we go. How many of you got brave and drove up to Altamont Springs to go to Red Hot Boom? Anybody? Nobody went? Good for you. You're smart. Because I Googled it. I live right across the street from there, basically. And I Googled it, and I do not go to that event because I don't want to be in 95-degree Florida sun with 250,000 people. But Google said it was estimated that there was 250,000 people at the event. So it's a huge event at Crane's Roost Park in Altamont Springs, basically right off of I-4. Why would 250,000 people get in their cars from all over Orlando and Florida and drive to Altamont Springs? Fireworks. Fireworks. But why would they come for fireworks? Because fireworks fascinate us. Because they're beautiful. There's sound and there's light and the colors and all of it. I watched my kids. We, we watched the neighbor's fireworks in the driveway. And I took pictures of them, you know, with the firework reflecting on their face, the colors. And such a beautiful thing. But it reminded me, as I watched my kids delighting in fireworks, that the human heart was designed to hunger for beauty. It was designed to hunger for beauty, and David knew spiritual hunger for beauty. He said, the only thing that I'm asking, Lord, is that I can dwell in your house, that I can dwell in your presence and gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And I want to talk about spiritual hunger this afternoon. Now, it's a fairly common mistake that believers, genuine believers make to think or to confuse their hunger for something from God with hunger for God himself. It's a, common, it's a common mistake. You could be hungry for a physical healing in your body. You could be desiring um, to meet your loved ones in heaven. You could be desiring for some kind of a financial breakthrough in your life because of some setbacks. But those things, while they're not bad, are not hunger for God himself. And I want to talk to you about how to hunger for God himself because, beloved, God is looking for a people. He is looking for a people in a, in a, in a church at least in the Western world, that has been overcome by a spirit of compromise and lukewarmness. And God is looking for a people who burn for him, who burn for Jesus. I love one of my favorite quotes is from John Wesley. He said, when they, they said, how do you do it? How do you get up and draw the crowds? And he said, I get up and when I preach, I set myself on fire and people come and watch me burn. I pray, my prayer is that every Christian would adopt that mentality, that all I care about is being on fire for Jesus and hungering for him, because if I can do that, other people will be touched by the fire, and they will come and get in the fire, and they will burn for God, and we will reach the world with the gospel. Amen? Hallelujah? Okay. Mike Bickle said this, as an inheritance, God the Father has promised his son a church filled with people ablaze with affection. 
The father would not insult his beloved son by giving him a bride that is bored, passive, and compromising. He would not insult his son Jesus by giving him a bride that is bored, passive, and compromising. We're going to look at a few verses from James chapter 4 tonight because as I even shared in my own story, there are things, there are obstacles and hindrances to spiritual hunger. And I want to talk about some of the the enemies of spiritual hunger and how to overcome them. So if we could go to that first slide. Enemy number one is apathy. And my definition of apathy is a lack of feeling or desire for God that results in a dwindling pursuit of God. I won't ask for a show of hands if anybody's currently experiencing that. And this isn't a word of condemnation. It's a word of encouragement because most Christians will go through seasons of life where they begin to experience spiritual apathy. And sometimes it can get really, really bad. Where has my desire for the Lord gone? Okay, I want to talk about that. Um, the dangerous thing about apathy is that it's subtle and gradual. Apathy doesn't show up in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and say, I'm here, I'm spiritual apathy, I'm here to attack you. It comes gradually and subtly. Um, go ahead and bring up that, that next slide. Now James writing, of course not to you guys, but to a church that he was an overseer in. He said this, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, you could reverse that, and you could say that anybody who wants to be a friend of God needs to be an enemy of the world, in the sense of like the world dominated by sin and Satan. You see, anytime our hunger for God starts to dwindle, we will try to feed ourselves with other things, and those other things will often further break down our friendship with the Lord. Because your heart is hungry and my heart is hungry. And no matter what, we're going to eat, okay? And if we're not feasting on the riches and the beauty of God's presence, we will try to fill that desire with other things. And sometimes those other things actually erode our affection for the Lord and take us to a place of apathy. Now, James uses a very strong word, right? Adultery. That is a strong word, but it's intentional because all adultery is really about being fascinated by the forbidden. All adultery is being fascinated by the forbidden. And our fascination with the Son of God, with Jesus and all of his glory and his beauty, it decreases as any kind of worldliness in our life increases. Now, I, I, I feel like every season, of my, every season of my Christian walk with the Lord, the Lord reveals something new to me, another area of my life where, where the world needs to be uprooted, okay? So let me just mention a few. Let me just mention a few, and you, you don't have to raise your hands, but some of these may, may resonate with you. One of the ways that we become more worldly is in the kind of entertainment that we consume. It is a tool of the enemy, um, the, 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 the media, the social media, Netflix, Amazon Prime, all of it, as you've noticed, because you've, you've browsed those things, it's difficult to navigate around stuff that is filthy and lewd and immoral and against the purposes of God, right? And every time I start to watch a new show, this has happened to me so many times, I really like the show and I like the plot line, but I realize deep in my spirit, Something is saying red flag, red flag. 
if God, if Jesus was in this room and he was appalled at what I was watching on the television, I would be quick to turn it off. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry that's on, right? So why would I keep watching it? I started watching a show the other day, some weird sci-fi Western show. And so there was nothing like super explicitly sexually immoral or anything in it, but it was dark. The atmosphere of the show was dark. There was evil. There was kind of these cultic, these occult sort of themes in it. And after about two episodes, the Lord said, shut it down. And you know what? Each night that I watched the show, I had a really just dark dreams, not nightmares, but dark dreams. And the Lord was showing me what you consume goes into your spirit. And this, there's a worldliness to this show that is unhealthy for you. And I want you to give it up, even though you really want to know what happens in the final season. And I, and I had to give it up. You know, sometimes you can just go read the, 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 the summary of episodes on Wikipedia or something if you really need to know. But entertainment, ask yourself, are there forms of entertainment that I am consuming that are full of content that is displeasing to the Lord? There's, there's barely a comedy show these days that is not almost full of sexual innuendo and immorality and references to things that God calls sin and that break his heart and grieve his heart. And some of us need to do a re-eval of that kind of worldliness in our lives. The other, another one is desire for riches, being consumed by, fi- by finances, Okay. John names this in 1 John. Another one could be the company we keep. Paul says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. Now, we want to be salt and light in the world. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. But are there any relationships in my life that are pulling on me a little bit more strongly than my gospel influence on them is pulling them? That could be a place of reevaluation for some of us. Are there places that I'm going? Are there people that I am hanging out with and that are influencing me that's causing my spiritual hunger for Jesus to kind of dwindle a little bit? But to, re, so to rekindle spiritual hunger, if we're experiencing apathy and worldliness, is we have to take stock of where it has crept in. We have to take stock and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, show me where are the chinks in my spiritual armor where the enemy is gaining ground over my mind and over my heart that's causing me to, 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 my passion for you to die out or to dwindle, okay? Number two, we can go to the next slide. Is what I call the orphan spirit. You've maybe heard this term before, you maybe have it, but let me tell you what I mean by the orphan spirit. This is a hindrance to spiritual intimacy and hunger for God. What I mean by the orphan spirit is a sense of feeling unloved or undesired by God that leads to spiritual loneliness, prayerlessness, fear, or anxiety about my relationship with God. This is a very, very effective tool of the enemy. I have experienced this. Probably some of you have experienced this. Anxiety about my relationship with the Lord, what he thinks of me. Does he really desire me? And it's an effective tool of the enemy because anxiety about who we are as sons of God, blood-bought sons and daughters of God, will cripple a life of fruitful ministry and intimacy with Jesus. Because we're always questioning his care and his love and his passion for us. We're always questioning, you know, some of us were singing, your goodness, your goodness is coming after me. It's running after me. It's in pursuit of me. But do you really believe it in the depths of your heart? Or do you think that maybe there's areas where he's abandoned you and neglected you because you aren't spiritual enough? You aren't holy enough. You didn't pray enough this last week. Okay. The first lie started with a question in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really say that? Does he really care about you, Eve? Why would he do that if he really cares about you? Does he really love you and have your best in mind? Go ahead and go to the next slide. James says this, 
Or do you think, this is the next verse, Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. God has deposited in every believer his own spirit. And he longs to commune spirit to spirit with us. What Paul calls the inner man. The Lord wants to communicate to our inner man. And it's, James is telling us that God jealously longs. He jealously longs to connect with you and the spirit he has put within you. Now, this is not the jealousy that I see that my neighbor has a new fishing boat and it's like, oh, I wish I had that. That's not the kind of jealousy. This is the kind of jealousy if I was in the grocery store in a different aisle than my wife and I came back to her and I saw another young man like talking to her and trying to get her phone number and hitting on her, I would approach them and be like, hey bud, take a hike. This is my bride. I, I love her. I'm invested in her. I have sacrificed for her. I live life for her. I, I, I'm passionate about her. She's beautiful to me. I care about her deeply. Take a hike, right? And so this, this is that kind of jealousy. It's God's bridal love for his bride, you and me, the church. And he jealously longs for communion with us. And believing this in your spirit, not just in your head, will transform your intimacy and your spiritual hunger. When you actually believe that God jealously longs for you to commune with you in the prayer closet, to connect with you and worship when you're with the saints, to meet you in communion, when you believe that, it will transform your hunger for him because you cannot desire God if you don't believe he desires you. That is the orphan spirit. Jesus told his disciples, the father himself loves you. He didn't want them questioning the God who they couldn't see, that they could see God in the flesh in him. He didn't want them questioning the Father's love and he told them, look, you're gonna talk to him directly because he himself loves you, each and every one of you. And we need to hear that. I read that verse over myself all the time. The Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. Every, anytime I feel the enemy attacking me and pulling me into this orphan mentality, I go to those beautiful words. Uh, Bob Sorge, an author, says this, nothing is deadlier to the secret place than a false idea of how God views you. And nothing is more powerfully energizing than when your mind is renewed in the word of God and you come to understand how he looks on you. When you gain ownership of the fact that God is smiling on you, that he is desiring your company and that he longs to be intimate with you, then the truth of that reality starts to touch your emotional chemistry and you actually begin to feel attractive to God. This atta attainment has the power to change everything about how you relate to God. And the enemy wants to attack that. He wants to keep you from believing that God actually longs for you. Jesus died. Jesus gave his life to make us beautiful to the Father, to cleanse us of everything so that the Father looks on us as blameless so that we can enter in his, into his presence and commune with him. Some, some of you may be in a season of wrestling with, with the orphan spirit. Some of you may be in a season where you're wrestling with the orphan spirit. I wanna, I wanna give you one other reminder of the orphan spirit from scripture, and it comes from a parable of Jesus, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Remember when the prodigal comes home after living the party lifestyle and the father runs to him and he throws his arms around him and says, I'm so glad my son was lost, but now he's found. Give him the ring and the robe and get the 
calf killed so we can have a barbecue and invite everybody. There's going to be this uproarious celebration. <clears throat> but then there's this other figure that Jesus, for some reason, tells us the story of. He could have ended the parable right there. But he tells us, but there was an older brother. And he came out and he said to the father, you've never thrown me a party like this. He began to function as an orphan. He began to think as an orphan. He began to believe lies from the enemy that he really wasn't loved by his father. He said, you've never thrown a party for me. And the father says to him, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. That were the father's words to him. You're always with me and everything I have is yours. You see, the father loves to call us back to our unawareness of our adoption as sons and daughters when we're fighting the orphan spirit when we're battling the orphan spirit. And if you're battling it today, I'm here to tell you that the Lord wants to call you out of it and deliver you out of it and remind you that you are special to him, that he has affection for you, that he loves you, and he proved it when he sent his son to rescue you from the darkness. Last enemy, let's go to the next slide. This is the killer. This is the killer. I heard, was talking to somebody once who had talked, was doing interviews or some kind of research with pastors who had fallen away from the faith. And he said there was an, he interviewed a whole, a whole number of people and he said there was a thread that I noticed when they told me their stories. Their prayer life started to dwindle until they didn't pray anymore. And they were operating robotically, mechanically. They had lost their intimacy with the Lord incrementally, in steps. The only way to keep the fire on the altar of our hearts burning is to spend time with him in the secret place, not just on Sundays at 10 o'clock or four o'clock or six o'clock, but to be in his presence with a devotion and a consecration and a faithfulness and a consistency that keeps the fire burning. Remember in the Old Testament, the Lord would set the fire on the altar, but the priests had a ministry of keeping that fire stoked. It's a picture of like the believer's life. The Lord sets us on fire. We're new believers, full of the Holy Spirit, so excited to share Jesus, so excited about what he's done in our lives. But over time, if we do not keep kindling that fire and fanning it into flame, as Paul says, it will die out. The fire of desire for the Lord will die out. Go ahead and go to the next slide there. James goes on and he says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. So let me ask you a question. Our level of intimacy with the Lord, who is it up to? And I'm just talking about our experiential daily intimacy with him. Who is it up to? Right? Now, I believe that nobody draws near to God without God first drawing on, the hearts, on their heartstrings. But the level of our depth of intimacy with him, he largely leaves in our hands. He says, pursue me. When you seek me with all of your heart, then you will find me. Come near to me and I will come near to you. That is a beautiful promise, friends. That is a life-changing promise. Because sometimes we don't go here because we feel like our prayer life is dry. We feel like setting apart that 15, 30 minutes, that hour, whatever it is in the morning. It just, it feels dry. It feels like nothing is happening. But what we're doing is we're sowing seeds into a garden of intimacy and sometimes you don't get to see all the plants and all the fruit and vegetables pop up right away. 
Okay, and the enemy wants to keep us out of the prayer closet. He targets your prayer life more than anything else. More than anything else. Because it's in the secret place that Christians are forged into God-hungry, evil-defeating, pure-hearted, spirit-filled, joyful weapons in the kingdom. It's only in the prayer closet that that happens where we get forged deeply. Now, some people will say to me, well, you know, yeah, I don't disagree with you, but it's more about quality than it is about quantity. Okay. All right. Here's what I would say about that. There's some truth in that. There is some truth in that. But you cannot achieve great quality in your intimacy with Jesus without investing significant quantity. If I, if I showed up at home on Saturdays, but was gone Monday through Friday and Sunday, and I showed up at home on Saturday and talked to my wife for 15 minutes, and she finally confronts me and says, you've been gone a lot and um, you're talking to me for 15 minutes a week. What's up with that? And I said, well, babe, that's a quality 15 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm totally present for that 15 minutes. Is that going to fly? Are we going to have intimacy in our marriage? Are the flames of romance going to you know, burn? Are the flames of passion going to burn? No. That's headed for death and dryness, a a desert land. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 9. He said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. You can apply that to your prayer life, right? The more that I sow, the closer I actually am getting through. And this is what happens is that we start to sow into a, a new sort of commitment to disciplined prayer. Maybe it's morning morning time for you. You get up and you make the coffee and you start sewing into it and you have a new habit and you're feeling good about it. But then it's like, oh, I don't know, this is just not really feeling like it's doing anything. I have this list and I say it to God and it's not really going anywhere. But the thing is, is that there is a threshold. There is a threshold. And pressing in and the more that you sew into that secret place and in intimacy with the Lord, the closer you get to breaking that threshold, which is where you go from duty to delight where you no longer just feel guilty. And by the way, guilt is never a good motivator to increase your hunger for God or your prayer life. Guilt is just not a good motivator. It's a tool of the enemy to actually drive you away from God. Guilt will never deepen your intimacy with the Lord. So rebuke that voice of guilt when it comes about, you didn't spend enough time, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you you stink at prayer, right? Guilt is never a good motivator. But at the same time, at the same time, the Lord calls us to come near to him, to posture our hearts, to orient our daily lives, the way that we spend our hours in such a way that intimacy with him deepens. And we go, there is a threshold. I'm telling you, there's a threshold that I experience every day. Because when I wake up early in the morning and get my coffee and I'm sitting there, the first few minutes of prayer is not fire and zeal and passion. It's like, uh, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing I seek to, you know? But there's a threshold that you cross when you keep pressing in with hunger for the Lord where you begin to sense his presence, where you begin to sense his delight in you, where you begin to grow in your delight for him. And you get to a place, when you get to that place of sowing into the the, the secret place in that way, you are no longer, when you miss it, you're no longer plagued by guilt, but sadness. Because you're like, man, I missed out. I wanted, I needed, Lord, I needed to be with you and I let something get, a, get in the way. Just be quick to repent of that and go back. 
Don't let the enemy hit you with guilt and drive you away because it will never increase your spiritual hunger. Jesus said of Mary of Bethany who sat at his feet that she has chosen the better part. He said, indeed, there is only one thing that's necessary and she has chosen the better part to sit at my feet, to listen, to receive from me in my presence for Jesus. And then do you remember the story from John chapter 12? Same Mary, Mary of Bethany. She comes in and she takes this expensive bottle of perfume, which was probably like her dowry money, by the way, to get married and have a life with a man. And she breaks it open and pours it out over Jesus. That's a life of spiritual hunger lived at the feet of Jesus in his presence. That was her saying, you take everything. I'm extravagantly devoted to you, to your presence, to your person. I am broken open for you, Jesus. She was spiritually hunger, hungry. Okay, let me kind of wrap this up by going back to my story. So I met your pastor probably almost two years ago. It must have been right around two years ago. And he came to me because of a mutual friend or connection. And he came to me because he had heard that I had had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed my life and changed my ministry. And that our church was beginning to experience miraculous healings and that the Lord was doing things and speaking prophetically through people. And he was curious, like deeply curious and I got to know Justin and he wanted to know my story and he wanted to hear and he's like, I'm so uh, curious about this and I want to know more and I, I, I just know I want more of God in my ministry and in my life and in my church. And I watched your pastor over the last two years go from curious to hungry about the things of the Spirit, about intimacy with Jesus, about the miraculous, about living out the book of Acts, living out as the New Testament church. And I'm here to tell you today because I've I've preached in a wide variety of churches and encountered a wide variety of pastors and priests in my eight years of ordained ministry. And I want to tell you that you are blessed with a man who hungers after God. He's a man who's consecrated in prayer, in fasting, in devotion to the secret place, in devotion to ministering to the needs of God's people, to his family. He's hungry. And I'm so excited and glad for you that while it feels like a difficult season to let him go for a few months, he needed it and he's going to come back and the flames are going to be fanned. That's what he's after. He's not just after like, you know, is there a better way to order the service on Sunday? He's after God and you're blessed. I, I read this the other day and it made me think of you all. This week I read this. This, this author said this, when God creates hunger for himself in one person, it is often an indication that God is also creating a similar hunger for himself within the entire church family. So I just want, I want to speak over you today words of encouragement because there's something going on in the spirit that you, you, you don't see yet. There's something going on. The, the Holy Spirit came up to Justin and tapped him on the shoulder and began to show him things just like he did with me. And Justin's story and his journey completely different than mine. Same Holy Spirit. Tapped him on the shoulder and said, I, I want to show you things. I want to deepen your hunger and I want to do something in and through you and I want to do it in the context of where you minister. I believe that deeply. And I know some of, I know some of the story of the last year or so for One Hope. I, I, the rains came and the floods came down and they beat against that YMCA. The fact that you all are here is a miracle of God's grace. You're together I see you have weekly prayer meetings on Zoom. 
You have elders whose hearts are bent towards the Lord. You have a a heart that says, we want to release our pastor to go and seek the face of the Lord and come back to us and help us find our way forward. But here's the thing. The enemy will take a season of reorientation and try to make it feel like disorientation. The enemy will make reorientation feel like disorientation because he wants to discourage God's people. He wants them to lose their one hope and withdraw and isolate and break apart. And I just want to speak over you that I believe, I believe what the Lord like deposited into me as I was praying for you this week is that you're just in a season of reorientation and it's hard. And God sees your labors. Your labors are not in vain, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But this is, this is what I felt from the Lord. Like, Lord, what would you want me to say directly to this people that I'm going to be with on Sunday? And this is what I was feeling impressed upon my spirit. And, and talking to Nduka, I think it's actually kind of already happening. But I feel like the Lord gave me this message on spiritual hunger. Because the thing that he wants most for you all to be doing in the meantime is deepening your spiritual hunger for him and seeking after him, seeking to discern together as a community in prayer, in relentless praise, God, what are you calling us to next? What do Sundays look, for us, look like for us six months from now, a year from now? Where do we go? What's next? How do we reach our community actively? I see like plenty of places open for unbelievers who are coming to know Jesus to sit among you. How do we do that, God? How do we do that in the power of your spirit? Because there, there will be a temptation in a season like this where you, you kind of sit and you wait and you keep doing the thing and you say, the pastor's gonna come back with a fresh vision and then we're all gonna get on fire with this fresh vision. But I believe that the Lord has given you a sabbatical. He's given you a season to press in for you to seek out what is his will next for you, one hope. And I believe this, I believe this in the depths of my heart, that when Justin comes back, that if you all are faithful to that, you all are faithful to growing in your hunger and pressing into the heart of God, spending time in his presence together as a community, I believe if you're faithful to that, that Justin's gonna come back, you all won't have communicated really for three months, right? Something like that. He's gonna come back and what the Lord has implanted in him, he will have also deposited in your hearts. And it will come together and it will be beautiful and it will be blessed and it will be full of the spirit and there will be fresh oil. There will be fresh gladness. There will be a garment of praise on you and you will find your way blessed into the future in, the, in your mission for the kingdom of God. Amen? Somebody has to say amen to that. You all believe me? You all believe me? Can, can Philip come up here and just minister for a minute? I think that we're just gonna have a, a time of, I wanna offer a time of prayer in response Some of you, you know, there, there was something, one of those three enemies of spiritual hunger it was like, that one has been a wrestle. That one has been a battle for me. That one has been hard for me. And the Lord was speaking to you. And you know that in your spirit, you need to recommit. You need to be pulled out of any kind of apathy or worldliness. Or maybe you realize like, I'm, I've been operating like an orphan. I've been like not connecting with the Lord, feeling estranged. Or maybe you're just like, prayerlessness, that's me. I've fallen into prayerlessness. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. There's a couple of elders over here on the side who would love to pray for you, but I also would invite you, I'd love to pray for anybody who wants to come forward up here 
We'll have a little um, station here before we kind of go back into um, our time of worship. But I also would love to just pray over you corporately um, as a group. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God who calls outposts of your kingdom into existence. Lord, that that one hope wasn't just the idea of some man or some woman. It was an idea that was birthed in your heart, an idea that was for the city and for the nations and for the generations. And Lord, I I know that you want to see this congregation persevere and grow in their fervor to live out those, that vision and those values. And Lord, they, they may not know exactly what that looks like for their next steps into the future. But Lord, I want to just pray for your Holy Spirit to come and encourage them. I want to ask that where there has been um, apathy in there has been uh, an orphan spirit, where there has been prayerlessness, that you would come and minister. So I want to invite now Um, People to come forward, you can come to me, you can come to the elders over to the side here um, just to be prayed over and Philip's just going to kind of play and the rest of you who who don't don't feel like you need to want to come up for prayer, just kind of just invite you to stay in a place of prayer before the Lord. Let's just have some stillness in the room and let the Lord minister to your hearts. I believe he wants to speak to you as a community today. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.